Hello, and welcome to a special Flash episode of Villain for All Seasons. My name is Ben, here with... Dan. And today we are uh, just doing a short episode for you all. We're talking to journalist Ross Barkin, talking about the uh, NYC mayoral elections. Just a quick chat. Ross is also the author of the new book, The Prince, Andrew Cuomo, Coronavirus, and the Fall of New York. Uh, it's a subject we've talked about a lot, um, but Ross talks about it better. Um, and you got the book, didn't you, Dan? I got the book. I went to the lodge party, got to drink with Ross a little bit. So that was a good time. Uh, it's a good conversation. And you don't have to listen to a full episode of us this time. So interview only. Yeah, enjoy it. Uh, but anyway, with, yeah, without further ado, we'll just jump into it. Dan was tardy to this one. So he left me on my own for the first 10 minutes. So he'll kind of just be absent from that, uh, which was unprofessional. Uh, if I'm honest, I, I, I was, I'm pretty upset still. That's neither here nor there. Uh, the election can, continues. You can feel free to, uh, to drift out when we interview Farrakhan. You can feel free to go <laughs> yourself, Dan. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hey, Ross, Hi. how you doing? Good, good, good. Good. Can you, can you hear me all right? Sorry. Yeah. Yes, I can hear you. Okay, great. Uh, hey, my name is Ben. Uh, Joe's on here with me. He's our producer. And my co-host, Dan, who you met, is just on a like work call, but he's going to be on in a minute. But uh, yeah, but we're, uh, we're recording. If, uh, if, you're, if you're down, we could just sort of jump into things if you want. And Dan will join us in a second. Sorry for the kind of yeah. messy time. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we could just start with the um, news of the day. I know you've been tweeting about this and I'm a little behind. I'm in London right now, so uh, I'm a little behind on New York news, but I was wondering if we could just start with uh, what's your take on this new issue of the ballot counts going on in the election? Right. Yes. Yesterday, we finally got a uh, ranked choice voting tabulation, uh, which was of all the in-person and early votes, not including the absentee ballots, and, and those will be included next week. And um, we got a tabulation that showed the race narrowing significantly, where Catherine Garcia was only about two percentage points behind Eric Adams. Um, and then shortly after that, people started to notice, including the Adams campaign, that the vote totals in the simulation were higher than the totals on election night. And so it turned out the Board of Elections had accidentally included about 130,000 um, dummy or test ballots, which they used to test the system beforehand into the simulation of the real ballots. So it, it actually may not change the outcome so much when these test ballots are removed but it's deeply embarrassing and disconcerting. And, and for me, it shows how dysfunctional the New York City Board of Elections is and how the state legislature and the governor in particular have done nothing to reform it because the Board of Elections is a state agency. Ranked choice voting had no issue. It was the Board of Elections administration of it. But unfortunately, this will definitely lead people to question RCV and has brought a lot of negative national attention to it in the short term. Yeah, and it, it, I guess uh, two things, like 
uh, first of all, like what, if anything, could they have done to avoid this situation? And then also, is there any precedent for something like this happening in an election in the U.S.? I'm not aware of anything like this happening in the U.S. It's possible that it has happened, um, but this is the largest scale attempt of RCV ever in New York City. We have a massive electorate in this primary. We'll probably have over 900,000 people casting ballots, which is a big number. And this probably could have been just avoided with more competent administration and probably more people, more eyes to check and also better professional civil servants overseeing the process. In, in New York City and New York State, the election administration is highly politicized. What happens is you have the Republican and Democratic leaders who are um, basically picking the staff for the Board of Elections. So it's the last bastion of this old style machine politics. And it's never been reformed. It's been this way for probably a century um, at this point. And it's caused a lot of problems. We've repeatedly had issues with the administration of our local elections. People have been accidentally purged from the ballot rolls. We've had long lines and delays, uh, ballot scanners failing, uh, absentee ballots being mailed to the wrong people. I'm just describing things that have happened in past years. And my hope is this really crystallizes, crystallizes the calls for reform at the Board of Elections, which should have come many years ago, um, but you know, each time is punted. And, and now finally, perhaps people understand why it's so bad to have political hacks overseeing elections. Yeah, do you, I mean, do you think that political hacker, I know it's easy for people to, especially with ranked choice voting in this situation being something new, it's, I'm, I'm definitely someone who leans quite conspiratorial about stuff like this. Do you think this hack job kind of stuff is uh you know your garden variety incompetence or do you like is there something is there something to be gained by an issue like this i uh, think it's incompetence from? because no one candidate is gaining from this eric adams would be the candidate most wired into the board of elections because he is the choice of the outer borough democratic organizations and he is the institutional candidate but it, it's not really clear he's benefiting from the insertion of these dummy ballots. Um, I really think it's incompetence. Uh, and often that is the explanation. It's something, something as simple as that. New York does not have a professionalized apparatus that oversees elections. It has this very strange, outdated system where appointees of the political parties and friends of politicians are working in these agencies. Uh, you don't have to take a civil service exam. You don't need to meet any resume requirements. It's not like working for a, a typical city or state agency or a federal agency where there are rigorous background checks. And, you know, the people who go get there have to have some base level of competence. Here, there's nothing. If you're a friend of the local city councilman or the congressman or you know the county leader, you can work at the Board of Elections. And it's really as simple as that. And it's been that way for a very long time. Oof. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, did, I was not aware of that. That's chilling. But I, I guess we could just get on to, uh, you know, we're a little late to the game talking about the elections we meant to sooner, but it seems like by all metrics, a uh, foregone conclusion that Eric Adams uh, is going to win. 
So it's not that that's that's what we learned yesterday in the, the first pass of the RCV and they'll re, they'll be recalculating today without the dummy ballots. But in fact, Garcia will probably narrow the margin again when they recalculate and there are over 100,000 absentee ballots outstanding. So actually, I would say the odds of her winning have increased a lot um, since last week, and I would not rule it out. Mm hmm. I wonder if just for our listeners, if you could give give us a general overview of those two individuals of kind of where they stand. I know that, you know, Eric Adams has been in the lead. He's much more seems to be more in the like Democratic centrist Biden camp, very pro cop. But I was wondering if you could just give us an overview of uh, Adams versus Garcia. So Garcia and Adams um, ideologically are, are quite similar. They're, they're both decidedly not progressive Democrats. They are both pro-cop, anti-defund the NYPD, very uh, pro-development, close to the real estate industry and skeptical of tenant protections. They're both pro-charter schools. Catherine Garcia said she would not be to the left of de Blasio and de Blasio is a pretty conventional center left politician. So that kind of gives you an idea of how she views herself ideologically. And then Adams, of course, has really been a creature of big real estate and, and is someone who, you know, the, the, the finance and, and, and real estate industries would, would like to see become mayor um, and the business community as well. Um, the, 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 the real difference between Adams and Garcia is their approach to politics, where they came from and how they comport themselves. So Garcia is an outsider in the sense that she did not run with the support of really very many labor unions or elected officials. Uh, she really came up from the back of the pack to the front of the pack. She was never forecasted to do this well, uh, but she was endorsed by the New York Times, which helped her a lot. And then she was able to benefit from the implosion of another campaign. Um, Eric Adams has been running for many years, was, was backed by the Democratic organizations in the outer boroughs, by a lot of big labor unions, and also by a lot of very wealthy people who funded a super PAC for him. Um, so, you know, their politics aren't so different. The difference is Garcia is a much more predictable figure. You know, she's a lifelong bureaucrat. She has never courted controversy. She is very plain spoken. She ran a very non-polarizing campaign. I think that's why a lot of progressives are willing to put her on the ballot. Whereas Eric Adams made it very clear that he would remember those who slighted him. Um, that he'd be willing to attack those who went against him. He called Andrew Yang a fraud and a liar. He accused Garcia and Yang of engaging in voter suppression because they made an alliance, which candidates often do in ranked choice voting. And as you know, being in the UK, in parliamentary systems, alliances are quite common, uh, e yeah. even amongst political parties that don't, don't agree uh, ideologically, right? Um, but, you know, Eric Adams either doesn't know that or doesn't care. So to him, alliance building is a form of voter suppression, which is insane. Um, and so the, really the differences between them are, are, are on sort of these aesthetic fronts and, and kind of comportment. And um, I, I would say Garcia is not someone who'd be probably embroiled in corruption scandals, whereas like Eric Adams has courted, courted seemingly uh, sort of corruption scandals and allegations for much of his uh, political career. Well, that probably makes him very fit for the office of mayor in New York City then. For sure. Yes. Good, very, very classic New York politician. Yeah. Uh, well, and I wonder, 
this is something that for especially I think for people who don't live in New York City, um, this is something that could be a little confusing to them that there's been a real palpable absence of any real progressive candidate options. Um, <clears throat> obviously, there was uh, Scott Stringer, I guess, was seemingly the most and then uh, Maya Wiley, I believe, but like no one really like no one really from the kind of Bernie left uh, movement that really had any traction. And I was wondering if you could give some context to sort of why that exists in what seems to be to a lot of people, at least from the outside, uh, a very uh, left-leaning progressive city. There, there, there absolutely was no Bernie left candidate. You mentioned before Scott Stringer was a Hillary and then Warren yeah. Democrat, who for a long time was not particularly aligned with, with the, the grassroots left in New York City, began to court them as he ran for mayor and, and became the most viable choice until he was accused of um, sexual uh, assault by a former a volunteer who, who said she was assaulted in 2001. So that really uh, derailed him. You had another candidate, Diane Morales, who was a real long shot, but also did not really come out of the burning left. And then Maya Wiley, who became the viable candidate with the implosion of these two other candidates, she uh, she also was uh, not a Bernie supporter and worked for Bill de Blasio and had a very you know, conventional institutional political career and was not really aligned with these movements at all. So the question is, where were these candidates? I take the optimistic view. I, I think the left has grown a lot in New York in the last few years, but it's still very young. And the bench hasn't quite matured enough to run citywide. So to run in New York City, it's kind of like running uh, statewide in another state. When you, when you run an election like this, where 900,000 people can come to the polls, you got to raise a lot of money, you need name recognition, you need uh, you know, an ability to very early on build a lot of different coalitions. And I, I think there are actually a lot of like left, left wing socialist candidates who can do that in the future. The issue is a lot of them just got elected maybe, you know, a couple of years ago or less, you know, DSA just sent four members to the state legislature or five actually will have some in the city council next year. Um, AOC herself, did not run for mayor. She probably would have been quite viable. She did, but I think her focus is more on national issues. I'm not really sure that's something she would ever do. So uh, to me, I, I view it more as a coincidence and timing issue than anything else. I think in the next open democratic primary in, in 2029, you could see much more viable left-wing candidates, even someone like Jamani Williams, who's the public advocate who was twice a Bernie Sanders supporter, he chose not to run in this mayoral election, instead to seek re-election to the current office he has, just the public advocate. If someone like Jamani ran in the cycle, I think he could have won, to tell you the truth, but he chose not to. So I, it was more circumstance than anything else. And, and, and the left is strong in New York and it's getting stronger. I think each election cycle, the politicians mature, in the sense that they build uh, stronger coalitions, they gain an ability to raise money, they show themselves in their communities to be reliable and, and to deliver services. So each, with, with each cycle, DSA and DSA-aligned politicians make gains. It's just this cycle, for a variety of reasons, did not produce that candidate. Do you think 
that uh, do you think that New York is sort of like uh you know because I, I i think for like it's maybe the only city i can think of where people worldwide know who the mayor is um and do you think that's just because it's new york or do you think new york could actually be seen as a microcosm that will point to um national trends that we'll see like do you think that the like what's going on with progressive movements in new york will um is mirroring or will kind of uh, point to the future of what it will be like in the rest of the country, or do you think it is sort of a, um, you know, self-contained microcosm of uh, just a, a city? Yeah, it, it's a good question. One, one thing I'll say is the electorate is very diverse. So it, in New York City is not a microcosm for America at all, yeah. but within the Democratic electorate, you do have a wide range of Democrats there. You have young progressives, you have older moderate voters, homeowners, you have moderate black and Latinos, you have progressive blacks and Latinos, you have a big Asian population, you have an Orthodox Jewish population that votes in Democratic primaries. So I also think New York by its share by its sheer size is a city that is naturally going to attract attention. You know, it, it is by far the biggest city in America. It's not even close. You know, it's not the biggest city worldwide, but no city comes even within half the size of New York city. If you're just counting the five boroughs and not, you know, roping in surrounding areas. And so with that size certainly brings a lot of prominence and people naturally pay attention and care. But I will say out of all kind of the cities um, and all of the cities who run mayoral elections, New York City probably is the best microcosm for America because of its sheer size and diversity. You don't really have so many different factions, so many different ethnic groups, racial groups competing together in an electorate. You go to a lot of cities, maybe you'll have two groups, right? You'll have a large black population, a large white population. Maybe there'll be a smaller Latino population. Maybe there'll be some Asian population of some kind. I mean, New York City itself is almost split into quarters where you, know, you have a, a white population, a black population, a Latino population, an Asian population not perfectly cut up in 25% increments, but each have significant size to them. Each of them matter. And I do think um, within that racial and ethnic diversity, you have a lot of ideological diversity and a lot of different types of Democrats, all the way from very far left Democrats to, you know, pro-life uh, Democrats. And, and so that, that is certainly very notable. I think that's why people pay attention. I just had a quick question on that. Um, Ross, do you see Adams then as, or how do you see Adams fitting into to that if, um, if uh, the mayoral race is a reflective of national politics? Um, you know, Adams rightfully argues that working class Black and Latino communities don't want to see police disappear. And, and that, that's been something Adams has been saying from the beginning is that in a time of rising shootings and, and murders, you want better policing, not no policing. And I do think that's a lesson Democrats have to internalize because 
you can't really go into a neighborhood that is experiencing high crime where people are worried about gang violence, are worried that police aren't doing their jobs and tell them, hey, don't worry, we're going to cut the police budget in half and you won't have to deal with cops anymore. These communities want police, but they want police to do their job. They want police to solve crimes. They want police to care about them, right? And these, these people, you, you can't go to them and say, we know the police are not doing their job and aren't caring enough and aren't solving crimes. So our solution is have less police and, and you'll get some social services in return. They'll say yes to the social services. Everyone wants more social services, but this idea that you can radically decrease the presence of police and this is a popular demand from these communities is it, just not true. It's not backed up in polling data. It's not backed up anecdotally. There's a reason Eric Adams did very well in outer borough black neighborhoods. He, he, he's well known there. He has credibility there and his message has credibility too. So I do think it's important to recognize that Eric Adams may not win this election because he was very polarizing and because he's incendiary and he did turn off a lot of voters. We're going to find out, you know, was he just not polarizing enough to eke out a ranked choice voting victory over likely Catherine Garcia? That's an open question right now. We're going to see how these votes fall. They're going to do another tabulation. Today's Wednesday. They'll, they'll do another one later today. And then they're going to count the absentees next week. And that will give us an idea. But either way, it's going to be an incredibly close election and no candidate built a citywide coalition. You know, this was really a battle of different coalitions and we'll, we'll see which one ekes it out. I just had one last quick question on the mayoral race and then I wanted to jump into Cuomo real quick. Um, sure. Uh, you guys may have talked about this already, but the GOP primary winner, uh, uh, Curtis uh, Sliwa? Sliwa? Um, Sliwa, Sliwa, yes. yeah. And then I just wanted to, I wanted to ask about him and how you felt about him, but also just wanted to, on the note of incendiary and speaking of people like Curtis and then also people like Eric Adams, um, the, this kind of caricature of what it means to be mayor of New York. Um, and I keep thinking of Bill de Blasio when he was wearing the Nets jersey and hat and the, the button-up shirt at one of his recent um, press conferences. So just want to get your opinion on that as well. Yes, the Republican candidate Curtis Lee was a real New York character. He walks around with a red beret. He's the founder of this vigilante group known as the guardian angels used to run around in the 80s trying to prevent yeah. crimes you know you, you kind of can't make curtis up you know he's he's had radio shows he's been on tv a lot you know in some ways he, he is harmless in other ways he's not uh but the truth is new york is such an overwhelmingly democratic city he has no chance it doesn't matter who, who's nominated i can be the democratic nominee i will defeat curtis lewa in a general election in New York City. It just, he, he has no, no real chance. Um, but I do think New Yorkers want someone who embodies the spirit of the city. They do want a cheerleader. They want someone who likes the job, who cares about the job. You know, someone like Ed Koch was popular, though he was also problematic because he really embodied this kind of fighting spirit of New York. Rudy Giuliani did for a while, though he was incredibly divisive. You know, Michael Bloomberg in his own way is an oligarch represented a kind of New York and, and desperately wanted to keep the job and engineer a third term. Bill de Blasio to some seemed disaffected. He, he, he seemed to not care so much. He, he was very obsessed with the national stage. Lately, he has invested himself a bit more in, in the role. Um, but 
you know, the next mayor won't be if be like Bill de Blasio, whether it's Eric Adams or Catherine Garcia, or maybe Maya Wiley, if somehow she finds a way through ranked choice. Um, it'll be a departure, and it's going to be very interesting to see what that looks like. And I just wanted to kick it off with Cuomo. Um, the The dynamic between de Blasio and Cuomo, Cuomo really broke down um, over the last few years, if it ever really existed in the first place. And um, just wanted to give give get your opinion on, say it is Adams who takes it, or um, Garcia, or Wiley for that matter. Um, what kind of connection or relationship do you see developing there? It'll be very interesting to see how long Cuomo's governor for. So next year, he's up for re-election. He wants to seek a fourth term. He's fundraising again. Will he get a strong primary challenge or not? You know, that's the open question right now. Will he survive it primary challenge? I don't think he's going to resign or step aside at this point. Um, so, so right there, that may define what this dynamic looks like. Cuomo will accord the next mayor a very brief honeymoon period and then decide he wants to undercut him or her for a variety of reasons. You know, Cuomo cannot stomach another Democrat holding power. He cannot stomach someone who is willing to challenge his authority. I will say for Cuomo, both Adams and Garcia pre present their own challenges. You know, Bill de Blasio is someone who is very easy to undermine. The optics of it worked. He was a fellow white man. He was bumbling. He alienated people in his own way. So de Blasio was kind of the easiest of targets. Now, Eric Adams is a deeply unpredictable, tough-talking Democrat who, who said he would carry a gun on him in City Hall. You know, he's a black man with his own working class coalition. Eric Adams is not someone who I think Cuomo can so easily push around. Um, it, it's not something Eric Adams will allow. And certainly Eric Adams is the type who can go to the media and start attacking Cuomo left and right and, and maybe deputize people to do the same. And Garcia is, is, is in her own category. You know, she'd be New York's first female mayor. So Cuomo has to tread carefully there. He may be perceived as being anti-woman if, if he's actively trying to subvert the first woman who's ever been elected mayor of New York City. She's someone who ideologically could be aligned with Cuomo, um, like Adams on certain issues. There may be comedy, but it's important to remember that ultimately in, in these relationships, Cuomo is always the aggressor, and I don't expect that to really change. But the bigger question is how long will Cuomo have and what does next year look like? Remember, the mayor gets sworn in in 2022. Cuomo is up for re-election in June of 2022. So that next year is going to be defined by his re-election and what that looks like. And I just want to make sure we talk about The Prince a little bit. Um, the Prince is Ross's new book. Please go read it. It's a firecracker of a read. Um, but I just want to, Ross, can you tell us why you named the book The Prince? And then also um, the unique position that Cuomo found himself in uh, during COVID, which was being able to massively fail the state of New York uh, while being praised by national media. Thank you for the kind words. So the Prince, it, it's a it's a two two part uh, you know title uh, has two elements to it. One, a reference to Machiavelli's The Prince, because Cuomo is the most Machiavellian politician New York has had in decades. He's the most powerful, probably since Robert Moses, um, in, in terms of someone who has consolidated and wielded authority. And he certainly lives by the dictum, it is better to be feared uh, than loved. So very Machiavellian. And Cuomo himself is a prince. His father was governor for 12 years. He would not be uh, where he is today without his father, who was a popular 
governor of New York. And, and so I felt it, it made sense to call him the prince uh, for, for both of those reasons. And in terms of Cuomo and COVID, he failed the state dramatically. You know, we had over 50,000 deaths statewide, over 30,000 in New York. He compared COVID to the flu well into March of 2020. He delayed a shutdown order. He attempted uh, to cut Medicaid payments to hospitals. He attempted austerity, um, you know, once the shutdown was in place. And he did very little ultimately to prevent uh, mass suffering and death when it mattered. The shutdown was effective, but the shutdown came too late. And instead of, of you know, being blamed or at least not being elevated in any way, like other governors, Andrew Cuomo becomes a national hero, which truly is, is something out of a work of fiction in the sense that, you know, someone who presided over such disaster becomes the object of affection for celebrities and, and for cable TV and, and for prestige media. You know, it was really something to behold. I think it was very sickening for a lot of people. That has changed. His popularity has decreased, but no doubt there are a lot of people who do believe Andrew Cuomo was a hero of COVID. I do have two quick questions, but Ben, I want to let you get in there before we, um, before we wrap. Sure. Oh, no, go ahead. go ahead. I think you are going to overlap me anyway. Oh, okay. Um, I just want to talk about the sexual misconduct allegations. Um, it sounds like he's going to survive them, but I just want to see your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, he's got over, you know, about uh, over 10, more than 10 of them, maybe a dozen of them. You know, it's going to depend on the attorney general's report. Tish James has not released it yet. <laughs> I don't have a great opinion on that other than we have to see if the report says. Some of them seem very serious, uh, groping, physical allegations. Some are not physical. So the, those might not bring the same level of consequences, but it's going to depend on this report. If the report substantiates, if it's damaging enough, perhaps that triggers an impeachment inquiry in the state assembly. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Just on, the, on that note too, I, this is something I wondered about because you know people really latched on to anybody who wasn't Trump, of course, in the last few years. And uh, Cuomo was definitely a shining example of that. And I wonder, do you think he would have had this fall from grace that he's had, uh, had he not had those allegations and had he just had like the very real issues of how he, you know, worked politically? Do you think it would have been the same result? No, I mean, had there not been these allegations, Cuomo would not have had any fall from grace, at least in the short term. And Unfortunately, I, I was not optimistic uh, in that regard. So I do think he suffered reputationally a little bit um, from both the, the allegations from the nursing home COVID cover-ups, but he's still, you know, not, not in disastrous territory yet. Like he can survive. And, and I do think if Donald Trump was not president, he would not have been praised. He, he really thrived in that vacuum, that void that Trump created. So I lied, I actually have two last quick questions, but I just wanted to, one, the final one's on Cuomo, but I did want to ask you, um, just, just in general, how did you get into politics and writing? Um, well, I really started in college, you know, I, I wrote for my alternative school newspaper, you know, I loved writing, I really just wanted to write. And, um, you know, I, I figured, you know, journalism is a way to write for a living. So I, I found a job at a local newspaper. Um, after college, and I started covering politics around 2012, you know, local racism in um, 2013, and really got me involved. And, and that was really my, my starting point. And, and since then, I've been writing and reporting and really enjoying it. And I, 
we all have a favorite Cuomo story. Um, my most recent one is the uh, soon after the sexual um, misconduct allegations came out, someone filmed him saying, I'm not going anywhere, darling, uh, which I thought was pretty great. But um, I just wanted to see if you had a, your, a favorite Cuomo story. Chris Cuomo as well is included. I have to think about that, you know, <laughs> what, what the favorite Cuomo story would be. Um, but let, let, let me think. I don't, I don't have one off the top of my head. It's just he, he's such a character um, in so many there's, ways. There's so many. It's like trying to find your favorite Trump yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, yeah, I, I have to jump pretty uh, shortly. No, no problem. Um, Ross, okay. thank you so much. Everyone, please go read Ross's new book, The Prince. And um, thank you again, Ross. Th thank you. you. You got all uh, that? That sounds good? Yeah, sounds great. Thank you, Ross. Have a good one. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you, Russ. So that was a quick interview with Ross Parkin. Um, as Ben noted, right after we wrapped the interview, it was kind of like doing network news. Um, lightning round, really. I want to remind everyone that Dan was late. <laughs> yeah, it didn't help that I was late. Um, hey, duty calls, guys. I didn't prepare uh, any questions. I was on the fly. Ross is really like a Really, really educated guy, you know? I'm in, I'm in with how much he knows about one- He's sharp, he's quick, he's quick. He's mm. quick and he's uh, concise. Yeah, it was, uh, we threw a lot at him and uh, he's really able to, you know, pick it up and run with it. So hopefully more appearances on CNN and MSNBC for him in the future. Yeah. And I'm gonna follow up with him about the, the Cuomo story. I really wanted him to say the nipple rings. Wait, what was the nipple rings one? Does Cuomo have nipple rings? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there was, there was speculation um, maybe last year about Cuomo's nipple rings. There is a very suggestive photo. Uh, so this is the last episode of the season. Um, again, you, you lucked out because it's just Ross and us giving a little bit of, um, of ad-lib, some reflection on the season. Very short episode today, but uh, our producer asked us to name our favorite three interviews. And what comes to mind are uh, interviewing... Uh, the Chicago public school teacher. That was one of our first interviews. It was really great. Um, it, it came at such an interesting time too. And yeah, I think it really added a, a dynamic to a debate that was going on in the country. So that was really great. Um, I also really enjoyed, um, I would say our interview with Kevin Gottstola was really cool. He is such a intrepid journalist and I really admire his work. And then I, Upon reflection, I really enjoyed our conversation with Suzanne Dollywall about decolonizing their art. I thought that was a little bit different for us, but yeah, more academic subject that was kind of pricked the mind a little bit. Ben, what about you? I mean, obviously Finkelstein is a big one. Um, that was like a kind of a starstruck moment for me. Um, just this very, yeah, very terse, but very, you know, enlightened, you know, thrilling conversation to have. What else? And I actually really did love our first episode ever with Casey Gain. With, uh, and, and the parts I loved the most were all the parts that we were like, we got to cut this. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like wild conspiracies that uh, I think someday we should, uh, you know, have them on again and do a uh, unchained version <laughs> where we can talk about whatever the <laughs> we want um, yeah, yeah. with no, no oversight. Yeah, I don't know. It's all been fun. No, wait, you have to, you have to name a third. A third? Third interview that you liked. Oh, third interview that I liked. Um, 
You know, I actually really liked our synergy episode with uh, Vernon O'Dems. Uh, yeah. yeah, where we were, that was a, that one went long and kind of having, yeah, it was sort of like a, a third host for mm -hmm. that. Because Vernon's, Vernon's a really funny guy. It's really enjoyable to kind of talk about his podcast as well, um, which is the... Uh, Overanalyze this. Yeah, the Oat, Oat podcast. Uh, Vernon tried to make Dan say the N-word, which, uh, which I appreciated. Really? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't get him. Just... Well, you haven't seen our Patreon episode. So. <laughs> You're going to have to subscribe to Patreon to hear that part. Uh, <laughs> But not for not for free. Um, yeah, I, li I like that one. That one was fun, um, just because it was kind of freewheeling. All it was more uh, Rogan-esque, I guess, kind of all over the place. And, yeah, um, and it makes me think. Since we since we are doing reflection moments, um, what the podcast? I, I guess just the what you are taking away from the podcast. And one thing I think about in regards to what are deemed like left and right podcast, I think that that we talk about politics a lot. We talk about the news a lot. Um, I think one thing, it's probably by default we're left-leaning podcasts, but I would, I think it goes a little bit beyond that, but I want to get your opinion as well. I mean, first of all, make money. I wanted to, I want to make money. Um, and we're not, so that sucks. No, I don't know. Um, I just, I don't know. I just want to talk to people and I want to talk to kind of like, yeah, I mean, we're definitely like left, like, you know, left more progressive, I guess maybe civil libertarian would be something that you could like uh, categorize both of us as it's, um, but definitely, you know, maybe more Bernie left, but I don't know, I kind of, yeah, I want to, I want to talk to diverse opinions within reason, I guess, like, I don't need to hear, I don't know, can all of this, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, well, it wouldn't be in an episode if I didn't have one gut reaction. So I, I do have a just a quick one here. Uh, I, I actually have one too, if we want to do a quick gut reaction. Should we both do one? Okay, yeah, let's do a lightning because this could be usable because I've got one, I'll send it to the group chat. Um, okay, so this is Dan's gut, Dan's for me first. Uh, this comes from CNBC, published in February 28th, 2011, Gaddafi wants to abolish Switzerland. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> I am 100% I am in Gaddafi's corner on this. Get rid of Switzerland. Why didn't, why didn't the US government overthrow them and shove a sword up whoever their king's ass is or whatever? I don't know if they use a king. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Wait, let me let me let me read this a little bit. So Switzerland has moved to freeze the assets of the Libyan regime, but it seems unlikely that Colonel Gaddafi and his cronies would be stashing their wealth in Zurich these days. Gaddafi has been calling for Switzerland to be abolished since 2009. Yes, abolished. <laughs> Gaddafi believes Switzerland is, quote, a world mafia and not a state, according to Time magazine. So he submitted a proposal to the United Nations recommending that the Italian speaking, quote, the Italian speaking part of the country should be returned to Italy, the German speaking part to Germany, and the French speaking part to France. Uh, I 1000% agree with that. I don't know what you do with the Romanche uh, <laughs> part. 
but yeah, fuck Switzerland, fuck them and their Nazi gold. Have you ever met Swiss people? They suck. I mean, I want to do like we. I could do a whole fucking episode on how much Switzerland sucks. Wait, so I actually put. I actually posted about this on the uh, on the Instagram too. That they're like they they've got like terrible. There was like a LGBTQ rallies against Switzerland because there's like a huge uptick in like attacks on women and attacks on trans people in Switzerland, if you can believe it. And I can. Yeah, I can believe, I, I will believe. And by the way, let's, let's not forget, this is the one place that Anthony Bourdain repeatedly was like, fuck Switzerland, I'm not going there. He would go anywhere but Switzerland. And I always trust in Tony. Yeah, I'm 100% I'm on Gaddafi's, uh, Gaddafi's side with this. I mean, as I am on a lot of issues uh to be honest let me send you mine real quick because dan this this one's just this one's special for you so this is a callback to a gut reaction we had a little bit ago of a book we're never going to read from seth rogan's uh essay book i actually know this story um so um this is from nd wire it's seth rogan defends anti-semitic rant he and jonah hill experienced in elevator and the subhead is in his new essay collection, Rogan recalls an awkward run-in with comedian Eddie Griffin in Las, uh, Las Vegas. So let's just read a little bit of this. Seth Rogan's recently published candid collection of, year, of essays, Yearbook, is filled with stories, harrowing and hilarious from the front lines of his days in Hollywood as a comic and actor. Um, one such tale to emerge is an anti-Semitic tirade he and actor Jonah Hill experienced in an elevator in Las Vegas where they ran into comedian Eddie Griffin. Um, side note, I love Eddie Griffin. As does Ben. Yeah, we're, well, Eddie Griffin's oh, social media, Eddie, Eddie Griffin's social media presence is really a, a thing of beauty. It's the weirdest goddamn politics you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, often incorrect, but we'll get It's that. like oddly conservative and super conspiratorial. <laughs> um, okay, so- Get I just, to the I'll, thing Eddie said, I'll, I'll tell the story. Um, again, these are not my words, nor Ben's, and we do not. <laughs> Not agree with them at all. Um, Rogan said, okay, hold on, sorry. So they, they meet each other in an elevator, right? The, the meet cute, as you will. I, and this is what Griffin told Jonah Hill and Seth Rogen. I've been trying to make a movie for a while now, but no one will make it because they made yours. And you know why? No, why, Rogan asked. Because I'm black and you're Jewish, mother and you're, and you're Jewish, mother uh, Griffin told Rogan, according to the book. Rogan said at first he thought Griffin's comments were simply a bad joke. Oh yeah? What do you mean by that? Rogan asked. I mean, you Jewish motherfuckers run Hollywood and you only make movies with other Jewish motherfuckers. Oh, Rogan thought. This isn't a joke. This dude is just going on some anti-Semitic rant. Sorry, I guess, said Hill and awkwardly trying to navigate the situation. Don't be sorry, Griffin said. Tell, tell your Jews to let other people make some movies. Uh, yeah. And if you look at Eddie's Instagram, it's really weird. It's like, it's half just like what you'd expect from a comics Instagram. A lot of it's just promoting shows that he's going to do. You know, it'll be like, I'll be in Houston on November 12th or whatever. And then it'll be, I don't know where, where he gets his news, but it'll be some sort of like news headline that has no link and has no backing at all. I think one Dan sent me the other day was they're going to be giving every homeless person in New York $1,200 a month. Obviously, Eddie was, you know, very against this, uh, as were everyone in his comments, uh, mm -hmm. who had some choice words to say about the homeless youth of New York City. Uh, but it was like, what? but there was no backing to it. I've never heard of this story. 
It had no context at all. Yeah, it was very, I don't know, it was very like Just Alex Jones, no, very Alex Jones-esque. Yeah. Very like they're turning the frogs gay kind of vibes, <laughs> which, you know, and maybe that's, I don't know. I think we should interview him. I, I want, I yeah. want Eddie on. Yeah. So that, I was just thinking about when this, this allegedly happened, which is 2007. <laughs> I think that was right after Eddie made that, that Irish movie that we've been wanting to watch. Oh God. Yeah. We don't actually want to watch this movie. I, I just found out about Eddie Griffin when I was, you know, like Deuce Bigelow. And uh, I think the new guy he was in, Double Take, was really good. Undercover Brother, of oh, course. Oh, God, yeah. Citizen Kane of his work. <laughs> Are those, am I missing any? I'm sure there's a lot of straight-to-video ones. That Norbit? I can't think. Norbit? Was he in Norbit? I never saw Norbit. He, he does have some good... Uh, I mean, he was on Chappelle's show a lot. Yeah, he was great on Chappelle's show. John Q, yeah. Scary Movie 3. I mean... I, I like Eddie, Eddie Griffin, but uh, yeah, his politics have uh, kind of gone by the wayside, it seems. So this is definitely the real goes wrong. My, my main question is, I mean, we know, do, do, we believe, do we believe Seth Rogen? Do you think he said that? Or do we believe Eddie Griffin? That the Jews run Hollywood and only hire other Jews? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wonder if he said some kind of rebuttal to the story. For season two, we'll follow up on that. We will, we will keep you all abreast of further stories uh, that pertain to Eddie Griffin, that pertain to the Jews and their control of Hollywood and or the weather. And of course, the Reverend Louis Farrakhan. Stay tuned. <laughs>